Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us here today on TIP International Radio as we are getting ready for Thanksgiving weekend here in the U.S. Top industry professionals, TIP International Radio podcast is here to showcase prestigious top professionals from all industries all over the globe to share their experience and stories of success. I'm your host, Leah Maston, and as always, my amazing co-host is here with me. Originally from Namibia, she was crowned Miss Universe. Everyone, please welcome Michelle McLean. Hello, Leah. Hello, Hello. you wonderful top professionals. We are so excited to be here today to speak to a very special guest. And happy Thanksgiving to everybody. This is going to be a wonderful holiday. It's not something I'm used to coming from Africa, but it's certainly something that I'm getting used to celebrating. And hey, why not have a few days off? (laughs) Take time off. (laughs) But right now, we are so honored to have with us back again, returning to our show, Joining us from Toronto, Canada, he's an honored member of the International Association of Top Professionals, and he was selected as Top Philanthropist of the Decade, Humanitarian of the Year, recipient of the International Hero for Education, and he'll be featured in the first chapter of IOTP's Top 50 Fearless Leader book, coming out in the first quarter of 2023. Wow, you've got two decades of professional experience in higher education and has taught 45 different subjects at college and university and as an associate adjunct professor at Renison University College, University of Waterloo and professor at the University of Galpamba. My goodness, we are so grateful to have you with us on the show. Dr. Daniel Andre, welcome. Well, thank you, Michelle, so much. And Leah, it's wonderful to be back with you and to share new experiences. And uh, I'm happy to share and uh, uh, what I've been doing and also with our audience too as well. So Michelle, I'm in your hands. <laughs> well, you, you're definitely in good hands here with Leo and me because we have so much fun with all our top professionals and being able to showcase to the rest of our membership, our exclusive membership, that you know all the great work that we are doing and how we can collaborate together. So. It's always, it's always a blessing to, to be able to chat and hear your insights. So first off, um, Doc, you have devoted a significant part of your life and career to education. And I love that yes. because I have a foundation in Namibia for 30 years for education. Yes. You've yes. done research um, and uh, with those affected by the neurodegenerative uh, diseases, uh, that is a huge Uh, you know, thing in the medical industry, um, and it's certainly in the medical field. So tell us about your journey in this area and the work that you've done. And, you know, maybe something that you've always wanted to do in that industry. Sure, sure, Michelle. And it's, it's part of what I've done. And when you think about the brain, when you think about it, people are fascinated about it, because they're, they're so fascinated by the mystery and the power and the potential of the brain. When you think about it, there are a hundred billion nerve cells, neurons in the brain. These are little cells that communicate and talk to each other all the time. They link up and make possible everything that we do. A hundred billion neurons have about a hundred trillion different connections. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And we're just beginning to scratch the surface of all of this. But here's this brain, three pounds that you can cup into your hand with the consistency of jello or tapioca that makes everything that we do possible. Everything we think and feel and sense and fantasize about and reflect upon and plan for, it wouldn't happen 
but for the brain. And the brain is so powerful. There's one study that shows that it takes a supercomputer, the best computers we have in the world, 40 minutes to calculate what the brain can do in one second. So it, it just is, is so incredible on so many different levels. And, and so when you, when you look at it too as well, we used to think the brain was very fixed. Okay, so uh, 30 years ago, if we were in school, we'd learn that one part of the brain is responsible for one function and this part another function. There was very little overlap. Now, due to incredible studies in neuroplasticity, we learn that the brain in certain parts is definitely more flexible. And you think of a stroke victim who can then rewire the brain to compensate in some way. And then there's the, the study I love. And this is the one of cabbies in London. And to become a, uh, an official cabbie with a license, you have to study for, I believe, seven years. And you have to know every street, every nook and cranny in London and pass an exam. Well, what they've done is they've actually measured the size of a little critter called the hippocampus. And that's responsible for our, our memory and memory storages, short term into long term. And the cabbies have larger, bigger hippocampi than the rest of us do. Again, we learn it's like a muscle. And so again, it is fabulous. But in looking at the brain, just again, very briefly, I think it's so important to look at it in context because the brain certainly is a, is a physical um, thing. The mind, of course, and brain are a fascinating combination. But again, um, it's always in combination with other things like our environment. So we don't just act as a brain independent of what comes into us too as well. And so we know through studies such as epigenetics, what's that very quickly? It's the study of, of genetics, but it's the level above our genes. And so epigenetics comes from the environment, from what we eat, where we live, who we hang out with, where we work. And what it does is it triggers certain genes on and off, like the light switches. And so it's always, again, an interaction that way. So when we're studying the brain, it has to be looking at the environment, psychology, anthropology, sociology, culture, it has to be looked at in the whole package. Can you talk for a second about, when we talked before, you've mentioned the importance of the heart-mind connection. Can you yes. talk about kind of the whole person? Yes, exactly, because when we look at things, very often they get siloed, meaning they get reduced to their elemental parts. But in fact, to look at, at the functioning of a, of a person or anything, you have to look at the totality. So we have our, our biological, very important, but also our psychological and our, our sociological or spiritual sides as well. And so these are connected. And as a matter of fact, there have been studies that show that there are more connections between the heart and the brain than the brain and the heart. For example, another, uh, another example would be that of our gut health. And you've heard about the gut being the second brain. And you know oh, yeah. you have gut, gut instincts, and uh, yeah. and we, we all know about that. But do you know that 90% of all the serotonin, which is our feel-good, uh, one of them, transmitters, is in our gut, not in our brain. And so uh, it's that combination of our nervous system, our immune system, and uh, our digestive system, uh, all working together, our hormonal system. And that's what accounts for how we, we function in life. They all have to work together and they all work together within a very, very thin range, what's called a homeostatic range. And you need to be there to have maximum functioning. 
But uh, Michelle, you asked about uh, about uh, neuroscience in general, and my my first uh, real foray into it was as the first executive director of the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto, which was the first society formed anywhere in the world. And I've been working for another organization in Toronto, setting up the National Eating Disorder Information Center at Toronto Hospital. And that's still up and running. And I've been the, uh, the uh, advisor and, and special advisor to Genetic uh, uh, even today. But the thing is, one thing we did as well when setting up Netic was to put on these evenings in the community at the major reference library on different health topics. It could be anything from, uh, from public safety to uh, AIDS was, was big back then. Uh, and so whatever, we'd get together with groups uh, to co-sponsor these. A friend said, why don't you do it on Alzheimer's disease? And I said, honestly, back in the mid eighties, what's Alzheimer's? I really couldn't spell it. But I got on to the phone and said, can I speak to your director? And they said, well, we don't have a director. We're looking for our first director. Well, long story short, I applied and was fortunate to get that uh, position. And so it was really on the, on the horizon and cutting edge uh, of Alzheimer's. So the neat thing, although it was a very, very difficult condition, which we do know, and it's more prevalent today, the fact is that it allowed for exploration and developing programs from counseling to support groups, to uh, increased fundraising, working with allied professionals, public education um, and, and conferences to raise the public awareness of it and to offer support uh, through a counseling program, as I mentioned, to, to families who desperate, desperately needed uh, these connections. So that was a, a tremendous highlight in my career. And then from there, it was a question of, I eventually became chair of their patrons council, which is a group of Torontonians who who have connections to open doors, again, to expand awareness and, and, and fundraising, working with hospitals and, and allied organizations. I also got involved with, with Brain Injury Canada. And brain injuries are a major problem that don't get the attention they deserve. There are about a million and a half dramatic brain injuries in the United States a year, about 650,000 in Canada. And they happen through falls and accidents, sports injuries, um, illnesses, uh, strokes, whatever. And so there's a great, great need to increase awareness of this whole area with people who, frankly, honestly, sometimes slough it over, don't consider the consequences. And I can, I can get a bang to the head, get up and carry on. Sometimes it's not nearly as, as easy as that. And then, uh, Michelle, the final piece of it uh, is really to do with the Weizmann Institute of Science it's in Rehovot, Israel. It's one of the world's leading research institutes. And uh, I was on their international board uh, for a while and, uh, and actually had a neuroscience laboratory named in my honor, uh, run by a fellow, a brilliant scientist called Dr. Evo Spiegel. Again, looking at this connection between, between the environment and the brain and what in the environment will trigger off what in the brain, looking at potential down the road, uh, potential uh, treatments or cures that way. So throughout, I've had a real interest in the brain, uh, watched uh, research develop, and, uh, and believe it's one of the most fascinating things that we could be focusing on. Well, your journey is absolutely incredible and inspiring, Dan. You know, you're globally known for your amazing humanitarian and philanthropy work you do. You are a hero to all that know you. Uh, you were the first executive director of the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto, which you received the Lifetime Achievement Award. 
Chair of the Patrons Council of the Society, Honorary Patron of Brain Injury Canada, Chair of the Advisory Council of the National Eating Disorder Center at Toronto General Hospital, in addition to being the longest serving president of the social work profession in Ontario and board member of the Psychology Foundation of Canada. You know, I also understand you're the special advisor to the Weizmann Institute of Science Canada and that you sponsor a neuroscience laboratory in your name. Um, yes. Tell us more about your humanitarian and philanthropy work and why it is so important for you to pay it forward. It's, it's very important as part of the fabric of, of my being and has been for a long time. And when I think about it, Leah, it's really around the issue of curiosity and wanting to learn more about different topics. And uh, that's always, always driven me to the point that uh, I like to get involved in an organization, but also to help them and to work through with them. So it isn't a question of just, uh, if I can put it frankly, writing a check, but it's a question of, of getting involved, helping them out, helping guide them. And uh, they run the organization, but sometimes they really just need a boost. And I, I love challenges and I, I love to start with smaller organizations that uh, need that extra support to believe in themselves and to open these doors. And so uh, I did that with, with Medic by organizing um, a fundraising program that involved matching funds from other groups. And then the, the neat thing there, uh, in all honesty, Michelle, by doing that was that other groups say, if somebody's going to put up money to match, then they must be serious about the, the cause. And so as a result, another big foundation just came in to support Netic uh, for a couple of million dollars, which is the biggest, uh, biggest gift ever. And then it, it snowballs and they gain more exposure, so to speak. So Brain Injury Canada or, and, uh, and Netic are examples. Uh, the Alzheimer's Society too, to a degree. I believe very much in students and I love teaching. And uh, you were saying I taught 45 different subjects, yes, at university <laughs> and college. But for me, the most satisfying part is when I can connect with students. And I always say, it's a question of when the head meets the heart and making it real for students and creating uh, a safe environment. Because I find that once you do that, not in the very beginning of the class maybe, or the first few weeks, but if there's that trust level and they know that they can share their ideas, then they will. And I've watched so many students, not all of them, but I've watched so many students blossom as a result, gain the confidence uh, that uh, they really need to, uh, to carry on. And, and so I sponsor a variety of scholarships at the Humber Institute of Technology and Advanced Learning. There are 18 scholarships a year. I do it up north uh, at uh, Laurentian University in Sudbury. And, uh, I just love to, to meet with the students after they've been a recipient of these awards, because in many respects, it's helped them stay in school. It's helped them in so many ways beyond just a, a, you know, a monetary uh, uh, incentive in that, that way. It's like winning the Nobel Prize or the Oscar for them. And, and uh, to see the look in their face and their eyes, to know that it's given them hope. You know? And I think love and hope are the two things we need more and more in this world. Uh, but I, I, I love doing it. And so um, you mentioned the, uh, the, the social workers. Well, that was a challenge because um, I've been director of Alzheimer's and uh, uh, social work in Ontario was a completely unregulated profession. There were no laws in place, no standards in place. You could, you could hang up a shingle and say, I'm a social worker, do marriage and family counseling. Uh, you need a license to cut hair, but not to, to be a social worker. So um, 
we've been trying, we've been trying in the profession, not me personally, but for 30 or 40 years to achieve this. So it looked like it was not going to be on the radar of the government for a lot of different reasons beyond the scope of our, of our talk today. But I, I decided to take a six-month leave of absence from Alzheimer's to, uh, to achieve statutory regulation of social work. After all, and I mean this in no sense of disrespect, but in the States, every other state had some kind of regulation, some form of regulation. And so that six-month leave of absence turned into a 10-year campaign in which I became president of the profession. We built coalitions, worked closely with the government, um, you know, spoke around the province, uh, did, um, did interviews with the media, trying to raise this profile. And uh, uh, we did. In the end, we uh, became a regulated profession alongside the other professions too as well. So sometimes in life, we have to take risks. Sometimes they don't work out. Other times they're hopefully more calculated. But by, by keeping the eye, I found this, by keeping the eye on the vision of where you want to get to. And there were a lot of times that we reached the peak of the mountain and then plunged into the valley. And uh, to really develop the resilience and the grit to get back up again wasn't always easy. But uh, again, persistence is probably the most important thing. Have a plan, yes, be flexible with it, but, uh, but just be prepared to navigate and change with the circumstances. Well, Doc, you certainly are a fearless leader and <laughs> kudos oh. to you. As a mentor as well, that's so important, you know, for our next generation and for the generation in certainly in your industry. And, in, in, you know, you've accomplished so much, not only um, in your medical industry, but also, you, you know, with the intellectual accolades that you've had. But you've also got a huge media accolade uh, accomplishment list. So your illustrious career just goes on and on and on. You won numerous awards. You've been recognized on an international level. You were graced on the front cover of Tip magazine this January, or you will be in this January's edition. We cannot wait to honor you at the IOTP's annual awards gala dinner in Las Vegas in December as humanitarian yes. of the year philanthropist of the decade and you'll be on the famous planet hollywood billboard of the year on the iconic las vegas strip you'll also be selected as male visionary of the year and man oh my goodness intellectual oh my of the year and you receive the international hero award in education top health educator and health advocate of the decade my goodness um, I, I, I don't think you really need to accomplish any more, but uh, I'm yeah. sure we would, love, we would love to know what else you've got under your, you know, what's up your sleeve. But what, but what have been the highlights of your life with all these accomplishments? Okay, well, first of all, Michelle, let me say you have done fabulous work uh, yourself with your foundation in Namibia. I'm a great admirer of you. And I think that one thing we, we share in common is that we follow our passion. I mean, these things are are wonderful to be recognized for, I, I will say that, but they are an outgrowth of the work uh, that I do. I love doing what I do. I love the challenges of it. And, uh, and I wanna keep on, on doing that too as well. And so when you ask about highlights, I'd have to say really, um, it's making the, the human connection with people. It's really yeah. making a, a difference in, the, in their lives in giving them, as I mentioned, the confidence to carry on, whether it's a student, or whether it's somebody suffering from Alzheimer's disease. Um, another area of interest for me, it ties into the brain, just finished a diploma in uh, ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, which is growing among adults, for example. And uh, people need to know much, much more about that too as well, in terms of how they're 
how their brains operate, which are slightly different, but are, are wonderful too, in terms of their creativity and empathy and ability to, uh, to uh, make a contribution in the world. I mean, people like uh, um, the head of Virgin Airlines, right? Uh, has it, Einstein had it too as well. Uh, the list goes on of people, uh, you know? And so making people aware of things is, is so important through continuing education. But I'd have to say it depends on the area of the career. So uh, I wouldn't exchange the chance I had at Alzheimer's by, by coincidence to have launched that society and, and gotten it off the ground. Um, and then in terms of social work, to have just been again uh, by, by serendipity in some ways. I think we can plan a career to some degree, but we have to be open to experiences too as well. That's so, so important. Uh, and so that's another thing when it comes to teaching, again, teaching the courses that I, I taught. Um, what you do, by the way, somebody said, how did you teach 45 courses? All different <laughs> subjects. And I have to say what you do is you end up developing a core of, of material okay, that you can then just, uh, you can adjust and, and tweak okay, to fit in whatever. I taught a course, not my area at all, in urban sociology at one point. So then we go- Oh our, my goodness. Yeah, it was fascinating. <laughs> what makes for a healthy community? Well, that ties in Michelle and, and Leah to, to healthy communities in general when it comes to philanthropy, et cetera. So, so you bring in your knowledge in psychology and sociology and culture and, 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 and neuroscience, et cetera. Uh, and put it together. So there are ways to, to organize these courses. So I love doing that. And then in the latter stage of my career, it's been a question of sitting on boards. Uh, for sure, I sit on the, uh, on the board of the Michener Institute in Toronto. It's part of the University Health Network. The uh, Toronto General Hospital was named the fourth best hospital in the world. And the Michener is part of the educational part there. And so uh, what myself and my sister support uh, is the launching and starting now of a laboratory. It's actually a robotic training academy for surgeons on how to use robotics to uh, do, do uh, long distance surgeries too as well. It's the only center in Canada, but uh, it was about maybe six years ago and uh, robotics is not my area, but it's again, the leading edge of, uh, of medicine in so many ways. And so uh, I decided to support the purchase of something called the Da Vinci robot. And uh, people said at the time, why are you doing that? I mean, uh, people have different opinions on everything. And I said, no, I really think this is the beginning launching. It's a visionary a goal. And so they did buy that robot. Now there are five robots. And this center is hopefully going to be world leading, attracting so many different uh, uh, companies as well that are already installing their robots there. It's a major world company. So Again, this will be a, a visionary, aspirational program. So if I can help small organizations or, or certain causes within other organizations and encourage them, um, um, that's, that's really what drives me in so many ways. I love your heart of service. Um, what, uh, and you just do absolutely everything. And what don't you do is my question. <laughs> but what would, what would be some advice that you would give to those aspiring to get into your field? I would say, obviously an interest when it comes to philanthropy or anything, you can give to so many causes. I'm going back to philanthropy for a second. And so some people do it for social reasons. Some do it uh, for, for uh, experience. Do I really like this field? Others do it for a resume. 
Uh, others do it because they've been personally affected by a certain cause because there are thousands, tens of thousands of causes that you could you could do. So certainly um, you have to have a passion for what you do. And then I would say that uh, you need to be open to these experiences because no career, in my view, is a linear process. It's always up and down and things happen. So be, uh, be aware that you're learning skills which are transferable. Uh, you might think at 22 or 23, this is what I want to do. And you may start there, may stay there, but you may not. And so again, that's an important part. Networking is so key. And that's to uh, talk to people, link up with them, get to know them, uh, and they can be of help to you and you of help to them. So uh, that's key. And another part too is more esoteric. And that's to develop a sense of confidence in yourself. It starts with yourself and self-awareness too as well uh, of what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. None of us can do everything. I have strengths and I have limitations as we, we all do. And so to be aware of that, to be aware of your, your feelings about things, uh, know that the, the mind and the feelings, the cognitions and the feelings work together. Uh, we react according to our feelings, research shows, first, even before our cognitive brain kicks in, although we like to think of ourselves as rational above all. And we can be, but not to remember the brain is, is really a tripartite brain from the, from the uh, instinctual part, the back of our brain that uh, controls our breathing and our heart rate, et cetera, to our emotional brain in the middle, and then our top brain, which is so recent in our evolution, which is our thinking brain. And so those are the things I'd say to somebody, don't be afraid to reach out. Sometimes students are afraid, and maybe Michelle, the same with you, I don't know. People are afraid to reach out to us. No, they won't be interested, but I'll tell you, I love nothing more than to speak to somebody and give advice. And it's been, it's been rewarding for me. Things are, are never 100% altruistic. There are always many factors involved. And I get back from what I do. That's, uh, that's the reality. And so I'd love to, to carry on. I've had mentors in my life too, as well, that made a huge difference. When I was in graduate school, there is a wonderful um, woman, uh, Dr. Eva Phillip in Toronto, and I was doing my master's in social work and she's been a, a guiding light uh, you know, along the way and, and I still stay in touch with her. So that uh, is again, a serendipitous connection, which has made a, a huge difference. And also I can say uh, finally on this topic, it's important to link up with organizations. And I want to put in a big, big, big shout, shout out for um, IAOTP because it is an incredible organization that is so um, dedicated to its members uh, by offering all these different programs. Uh, Stephanie Cerami is the gold standard. Uh, there are many wonderful organizations, many wonderful CEOs, but I really mean that when I say that she, she, uh, she has her passion, her vision, uh, her dedication to making this uh, a wonderful worldwide organization. So I can't thank her enough because I'm here, Michelle, with you and Leah, um, in large part because of the uh, aspiration and dedication of, of Stephanie and, and her husband, Chris, and her mother. And uh, it gets better and better. And I'm so looking forward to the gala in Las Vegas. It was there three years ago. I haven't been to one since, but it was sensational then. And this year, I'm sure it will be just as, if not more, um, exciting and entertaining. Well, Dan, we are so excited to see you in Las Vegas. Leah and I will be there. So you okay. have to keep keep your dancing shoes ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, <laughs> a bit of practice. Okay. Yeah. And 
And I have to second you on that with, you know, my interaction, having met Stephanie and Chris and the family and the IOTP family. Um, I've just, you know, my, my whole world has expanded. My whole universe has expanded through this yeah. experience and the network of us really hardworking, but conscious in, in individuals that really collaborate together and do great things in the world. So I, I, I'm just so grateful to be a part of this family and to have heard you today and to share your story with our listeners and, and with our members, because it just gives them inspiration as well. We all achieve so many accolades and, and things in our life, but if we don't share them and we don't be the mentors that we could be, then we're not going to share that with the world. So yeah. and thank so you honestly, so much. Yeah, to do so honestly and to say that, uh, you know, some things succeed, some don't, some don't. We're human and we try, we try our best not just to survive, but to thrive. And the last thing, Michelle, is that uh, you are such a wonderful addition to IOTP and they're fortunate to have you. And uh, you are an inspiration too as well. And I mean that. And oh, Leah, thank, thank you always. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, oh, Leah, Leah is like, she is a bomb. She is the star. She's, she <laughs> keeps everything going because there's nothing like someone like Leah who gets the messages out there. And that's important. We can all be doing incredible stuff. But if yeah. Leah doesn't get the message out there, you know, through tip radio, well, you know, <laughs> what is this all about? So, so thanks, Leah. Okay, we all have people behind us who make it happen, Leah. You're you're an IOTP maker. Exactly. So, Michelle, thank you so much again. It was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Look forward to seeing you in Vegas. And uh, it'll be exciting, wonderful, and more to do. Absolutely. We can't wait. Get those dancing shoes ready. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. Good to see you. Thanks. Okay, good Thank to see you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye.